Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope, oh, come on, we got to do better than that this morning. Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Awesome, man, that is so much better. That was more like the July 4th one. All right, hey, I'm glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for those of you who are here in the room. Thank you for those of you who are joining online, and uh, thank you for those of you who are joining on the backstage patio. In fact, why don't we give it up for the folks on the backstage patio and uh, who are joining online. Thank you guys so much for being part of our church here today. Today we are beginning this journey. It's a three-week journey through one verse, one verse. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 31 is where we're going to hang out uh, for the course of the next three weeks. In this new series that we've got, these three remain. There's an old phrase, phrases, you can't take it with you. You guys have probably heard that phrase, right? Can't take it with you. And we as humans love to be, you know, we love to kind of stand on that virtue and say, man, you know, we can't take it with us to heaven. And we, we like that virtuous kind of, you know, feeling that we have when we talk about that. And the problem is, is that we do just the opposite, don't we? We fill our homes with everything that we can, right? We fill our homes, and when, when our homes are filled with stuff and stuff and more stuff, what do we do? We go down into the basement, and we fill with more stuff. Well, not down here. We don't go in the basements. We don't have basements. But we go up into the attic, and we fill it with more stuff. And then when all the attic space and when all the basement space is taken up, when all the space in the house is taken up, what do we do? We go rent what? Storage. We rent storage. And we fill that up. And then somebody says something to us and they say, you know, you can't take it with you or we get, you know, we get really convicted about all of our stuff and we have a yard sale and we get rid of all the stuff that we've had. And what happens? After about a year, we got to go rent more storage, right? It's the way that we do things. We as humans are just, we're kind of inclined to just like, you know, you know gather stuff. Stuff, stuff, and more stuff. I remember when Cynthia and I lived in Atlanta. Sydney was about 15 months old. Sean wasn't even here yet. Uh, he is now 14. Uh, and we were moving from Atlanta to New York City to help start a church, help plant a church in New York City. In fact, that church, the Gallery Church, we now, Hilton Head Island Community Church, we help help them and we sponsor them and they're doing so great. In fact, I believe it's today they're going back into full-time services in person today, which is so cool to think about that. And so we were up in New York City and we knew that we were moving from a, a relatively large Atlanta house. If you've ever lived in Atlanta, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You usually have a lot of space, right, for the dollar in Atlanta. And we had filled that house house and we filled the basement and we filled the attic and we were moving to New York City where we had like 900 square feet and that's a pretty big apartment in New York City and we had to get rid of it all and so we sold it we had yard sales and we had you know we gave stuff away and I remember selling like I sold my 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 like favorite car I've ever had it was a Jeep Cherokee Sport I sold it the boxy kind of Jeep Cherokee Sport. I, I miss that. I still miss that car. And we sold it. We got rid of it. And it felt so good. 
And then fast forward two years later, and we moved here. God gave us a vision, uh, as we just sang about, to, to move here, and to make an impact here in Hilton Head Island, and to start this church. And we were you know, we moved back to kind of suburbia, right? And I, I remember thinking after a year of living here, where did all this stuff come from? Where did this come from? And we just fill our lives with stuff, stuff, and more stuff. We just fill it up. And you know, I love what the Apostle Paul does. He does an amazing thing in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He tells us that you can't take it with you. But he shows us what we can. He shows us what we can take with us. Paul had spent about 15 to 18 months. Scholars differ on how long he had spent with the church in Corinth. But he had spent time getting to know them. He knew their names. He knew their trends, he knew how they would react, how they would, you know, uh, overreact and underreact to things. He knew that they struggled with sin. He knew they struggled with pride. And so he writes two letters to the church in Corinth. One is 1 Corinthians. I bet you know what the second one is. It's 2 Corinthians. And so in 1 Corinthians, he deals with some of their sin right out of the gates. He deals with how they're arguing and complaining in their church. Shocking. <laughs> Some of you are like, I, I know about that. I've seen that happen before. I have too. He deals with their sin and he deals with their arguing and complaining. And then he begins to kind of turn things and he talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about spiritual worship and he talks about spiritual things that we ought to pursue. But he knows the church at Corinth, inspired by God's Holy Spirit. He knows them. He knows them. He knows them well. And he had gotten word that they were using their spiritual gifts not as a tool to help the church and to help the spread of the gospel and expand the kingdom, but they were using it as a source of pride, comparing one spiritual gift over another, using their spiritual Spiritual gifts as leverage over someone who they thought had a weaker or smaller of insignificant spiritual gift. And Paul does such an interesting thing. Right in the midst of him discussing and writing about all these spiritual things, he stops almost abruptly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he talks about love. And he talks about the importance of love. And to get context and to understand this, we've got to go back to the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. He says, now, church at Corinth, church on Hilton Head Island, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And I love it because I'm sure as this letter was being read to the church at Corinth, there were a lot of people in Corinth, a lot of Christians in Corinth, that were probably like on the edge of their seats, like, like, all right, the more excellent way. All right, this is another spiritual thing that I can be prideful about, that I can boast on myself about, that I can boast to other people about how great I am, the excellent way. And that's the end of chapter 12. And they move on to 13. And this is what he writes. He says, if I 
speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am, say it with me, nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain, say it with me, nothing. I gain nothing. So you get what Paul is doing here, right? He's essentially saying, look, church at Corinth, look, church at Hilton Head, look, Christian at Corinth, look, Christian in Hilton Head Island. If, if you have all of these spiritual gifts, don't use them as a point to boast about. Don't get puffed up about them. Because if you have love, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have nothing. If you have all of these great things, if you do all of these great things, if you have all of these spiritual accomplishments, but you don't have love, you have nothing. I mean, I think we can agree that speaking in the tongues of men or of angels, having the gift of prophecy that can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that sounds a little bit like Solomon, the faith that can move mountains, giving all of your possessions to the poor and giving our bodies to hardship, which, by the way, Paul did. If he had all of those things, we'd probably be pretty impressed, wouldn't we? We can admit that. Probably be pretty impressed. He says all of it amounts to nothing if we don't have love. And in this series, we're not going to go into the chapter of love. We're not going to go into the details of it, and it is so incredibly important. We'll touch on it in, in week three when we discuss the word love, but Paul ends this incredible chapter where he levels the playing field in terms of spiritual things, and he knew that they would tend to be prideful. He knew that we would tend to be prideful, <laughs> to brag about our spiritual accomplishments, to boast Maybe not out loud, but internally to compare. He knew that. He ends it this way. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 31, it says, and now these three, excuse me, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Today, we're going to talk about two things. One is this word remain. We're going to dive into to the original language a little bit over these next few weeks as we kind of dig deep and kind of take a, a lot of meat off the bone on this verse, this verse. Why in the world? I've always wondered, why would Paul use the word remain? Why would he use the word remain? We're going to take a look at that, and we're going to take a look at faith today. And next week, we'll take a look at hope and the third week, we'll take a look at love. Paul uses this Greek word, meno, which means to remain or to stay or to abide. It also can mean to still be in existence. Another way that we could put it is 
It conveys the idea of permanence. I want you to hear that again. It conveys, the Greek word here conveys the idea of permanence. And essentially Paul, without coming out and saying it, is saying it, you can't take it with you. All these things that I've just talked about, all these points of spiritual worship, of spiritual lives, of spiritual gifts, it's all meant for this side of eternity. You can't even take those things with you. But he says, these three things remain. They have permanence, faith, and hope, and love. These are three things that you can take with you. And you see, Paul is trying to encourage them, and he's trying to encourage us, and God's Holy Spirit used Paul to encourage us to focus on those earthly things that are going to be eternal things that we take with us. In other words, we should practice them. See, that which is eternal, that which we're going to take with us into eternity should be practiced while we're here on earth. And Paul is encouraging us to focus on faith and hope and love. And so today I want to look at this word faith. The original language is pistis. Pistis, faith. And it's a broad word, but it means deep things. It's a broad word that has deep meaning. Faith, even in the Greek language, was used to convey things like trust or confidence or Assurance, I want you to hear that. Assurance. Assurance. I love that word. Assurance. Acceptance. Acceptance. That's what faith, that's what this Greek word pistis was used to convey. And it meant several different things, and it still means several different things. It can mean the conviction of the truth of anything. It can mean a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God. It can convey the idea and mean the religious beliefs specifically of Christians. It can mean the conviction that God exists and the creator, he is the creator and ruler of all things. It can mean a strong and welcome conviction and belief that Jesus is the Messiah. And he is the one that we have salvation and entrance into the kingdom of God through. But it can also mean the character, I want you to hear this, the character of one who can be relied upon. You see, it's faith and faithful. And those two words in the original language come from the same root, which is pistis. It means the same thing. It can mean not only our faith, but the faith that we have is based in the one who is faithful. Listen, I think we can agree that everything changes. <laughs> I mean, think about our world over the last year and a half, right? Some of you are like, I don't want to. <laughs> I agree with you on that. I don't want to either. Everything changes. Everything changes, doesn't it? The world changes. The earth changes. The things that we see change. I mean, my kids are, are growing up so fast, Sean is going to be taller than me. It's the thing I prayed about before he was born, that he would be taller than me. 
Some of you think I'm tall because I'm on this stage, and then you meet me back here, and you're like, wow, you're short. That's the first thing that a lot of you have said to me, which is really awesome. So thank you very much. Anyway, we have these little markers on, on the, the door frame of, of each of their rooms, and you know, they're, now they're 17 and 14, and those markers keep going up and up and up. And what I hear is, is they go up and up and up, and then at some point in your life, they go down again. That's what I'm hearing and experiencing. <laughs> the world changes. Our world, listen, listen, it's okay to say this. Our world is incredibly unstable, isn't it? It's unstable. It's unstable. We can't put our faith in anything other than God who does not change. God does not change, and therefore he is reliable. He's reliable. The verse I used last week, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, I want you to hear today, wherever you are on the spiritual spectrum, wherever you are on this faith journey, or maybe you haven't even entered into a faith journey, that God does not change and the first point that I want you to see today is that because God is reliable, we can put our faith in Him for salvation. Because God is reliable, we can put our faith in Him for salvation. The fact that God doesn't change should in our lives breed confidence and assurance and trust and commitment. N.T. Wright, probably one of my favorite theologians, he's a British guy, love, love, love listening and, and reading N.T. Wright. He said this, talking about our faith in Jesus, because it's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, that he came here on a mission and he fulfilled his mission given by God the Father. And it's our faith in him and T. Wright said, faith is not an arbitrary badge as though God just happens to like people who believe things. Rather, faith is what Jesus did. It's what he did in his faithfulness and what we do in believing the gospel. That's the good news. And so appropriating what was there achieved for us, eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. My greatest challenge and concern and the thing that I go to bed at night and I don't sleep because I think about is, is that there are so many people who will live this life trying to put their faith in something for eternity that changes. See, our eternity is at risk when we place our faith in anything other than God for salvation. That's what Paul is saying we can take with us. We can take that with us. We have so many things that we substitute for God in terms of salvation. We, we try to, to kind of reckon in our minds and in our lives that there's got to be some other more concrete 
concrete, visible thing like good works. How many times have I heard someone say that? I can believe in Jesus. I can believe that he might even be God's son. But my salvation is in my works, in my goodness, in my good deeds. Man, I'm here to tell you the best person that's ever lived could not have enough good deeds or could not not have enough bad deeds to enter into heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, written by the same Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith. And he says this, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God, not a result of works. He just comes right out and says it, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, Paul is trying to help us to understand that salvation begins when we acknowledge that Jesus' work on the cross is the preeminent thing that provides us and the only thing that provides us salvation. We can try as much as we want to find salvation, to find eternity in some other place, but where it's found is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is putting your trust and your faith in the one who is so faithful, faithful even to the point of death. And that's a saving faith. That's part of what Paul was talking about. It's part of what Paul talks about and continues to talk about in all his letters to all the churches in the New Testament. It's a saving faith. But I believe he's also talking about something else. It's the second point I want you to hear and the last point. See, because God is reliable, we can put our faith in him for everyday life. We can put our faith in him for everyday life. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How many of you who are already Christ followers, how many of you have had moments of doubt? You don't have to raise your hands. If you want to, you can. That's great. I'll raise my hand. I've had moments of doubt. I remember where I was the first time after I had accepted Jesus as my Savior when I, when I had a doubt. It was in Tarpon Springs, Florida. I grew up in the suburbs. It was always usually like a little, you know, a little bit loud around our house. And then I would go to my grandparents, usually for a week in the summer in Tarpon Springs. And I remember being a teenager, about 14 years old, and I went to their house. And there's a few things I remember about staying at my grandparents' house. It was right on the Anclote River on this hill, looking over that river that was a tributary to the Gulf of Mexico in Tarpon Springs, Florida. And I would go there and I'd spend time with them. It was so much fun. It kind of got me out of things. And I remember that they kept, in the middle of the summer, they kept their windows open 100% of the time. And I remember laying down in the darkness and silence of that night going, it is so hot in here. I am dying. <laughs> but I also remember that it was incredibly dark and incredibly quiet. And I remember for the first time after becoming a Christian, laying there, in the darkness, and the stillness, and the quiet, thinking, is this all true? Is it really all true? Is God really God? Is there even a God? Did his son really come to this earth and die? Or is this just all made up? 
I remember laying there just processing that. Going, if I doubt this, isn't there something wrong with me? It's the basis of everything that my family and heritage was based on. I can't doubt this. Listen, it's okay to have doubts. We all have had doubts. You all have had your Tarpon Springs moment. And I've had a few more along the way. Sometimes we have doubts because we see in ourselves something that disappoints us. Or maybe someone has been disappointed in us. Or maybe we have people in our lives who claim to be Christians who have harmed us or hurt us. Or you see them harm or hurt other people. And you go, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't believe this is true. And maybe you have doubts because of some, something bad that's happened to you. But I want you to know today, whatever that thing is, whoever that person was, whatever that situation was, it's not God's fault. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. And you may want to get to that place where you just reject God and reject the whole thing, but I want you to realize that it's not his fault that we live in a sinful world. We live in a world where bad things happen to good people. And our job is to live with a living faith. Is to have the type of Christian life that yes, we doubt, but at the end of the day, we just have that little extra faith to continue to believe. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We will be unsettled and unstable and unsecure and unproductive in our lives when we place our faith in anything other than God for everyday life. Wherever you are, whatever doubts you may have, whatever sleepless nights you may have about the truth of it all, God's still small voice can speak the truth into your life. And he can help you with your faith. We have faith in things all the time. We don't even realize it without even thinking, without even considering. You got up this morning and came to this place, or maybe if you're watching you know, online, you, you were driving around yesterday, maybe in Hilton Head, maybe in some other place, and you got in your car and you trusted the brakes to work on your car. You trusted that the guy who's driving from Ohio or Canada or whatever uh, is going to go the right way in the traffic circle, which doesn't always happen around here, all right? <laughs> you trusted that the light would change at the right time and that somebody would not come through the intersection, and you trusted it, and you drove here, and you didn't even think about it, did you? I bet none of you checked your brakes this morning before you left the house. You came into this place... And you sat down in your chair, just like I'm sitting down in this stool. And you didn't measure the legs of your chair to make sure that they were the right distance apart. Some of you are getting nervous right now, aren't you? Like, is he 
like got some kind of weird illustration, we're all going to fall here in a minute. No, that's not the case. But you put your trust in things all the time that you don't have to get out and measure. That is a form of faith. Some of you, the gap between right now, you accepting Jesus as your Savior and where you are right now, that gap is, is that you're looking for something to prove intellectually that it all makes sense. And the problem is, is an intellectual faith is not really faith at all. Yes, there are evidences, deep evidences, that God is real, that His Son was real, that He did die on the cross. I could spend weeks talking about those different things. Yes, we have to use our intellect, but at some point in time, we must just believe. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. And the whole point of an intellectual faith destroys this thing that you will take with you into eternity. And my hope and my prayer is that those of you who are listening or watching or here in this room or out on the backstage patio who have not put your saving faith in Jesus would do that today. That you wouldn't go another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've got this right. I mean, my goodness, we plan for a thousand different things in life don't we? We plan for vacations for months. And on vacation, we're planning what? The next vacation? We plan for retirement. We plan for our kids' college education. I haven't done that enough. We plan for, for what we're going to do in life with a career and a vocation. And we put so much in to what is here on earth. My prayer is, is that you would put your faith in Jesus for the most important thing, and that is where you'll spend eternity. And for those of you like I who have had doubts along the way, and those doubts seem ominous, and they seem unsettling, that in those moments of doubt that you would just once again trust in Him. That's what faith is all about. These three remain, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These three remain, faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is reliable. God, we thank you that you chose to redeem the world by sending your son, Jesus. And Father, right now, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with those within the sound of my voice who have not yet trusted you for salvation. God, I pray that this might be the day that they make that one small step and plan for eternity Father, I pray that you would lead them and guide them 
Holy Spirit, may you speak in your still small voice the truth that you chose to send your son to this world, to die on the cross, giving us forgiveness of sins. And you chose to be put in that tomb, in that cave, and three days later rise again from the dead, giving us eternal life. Father, I pray that you would reveal to those who may not yet, maybe they check all the other boxes in terms of church attendance and knowing the Bible and understanding deep intellectual things, but they've never chosen to put their faith in you. I pray right now that you would lead them to you. If you're listening to my voice, you're here in this room, or you may be listening online or backstage patio, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to challenge you to do that right now. Man, eternity is a high price to pay because you just feel embarrassed or you just feel small or weak or you think that you're going to do good enough in life to cover it all. My prayer is right now you would trust him as your savior, that you would put your faith in him, that saving faith that he provided on the cross. I want to invite you to pray with me right now, just silently where you are, if you mean it. It's just a short prayer of salvation. And you can pray it just quietly to God. He hears you. He's listening. Don't let another day go by without getting this thing right. You cannot get anything else in life right. You can miss the mark on everything else. Everything. And it won't affect eternity, but this... I want to challenge you to pray this prayer. God, thank you for bringing me to this place today. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Right now, I choose, even in my doubts, I choose to put my faith in you to save my sins and to give me eternal life. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer and you're here in the house today, I want to encourage you just right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to see your hand so I can pray for you. I promise I will not embarrass you, but if you'd raise your hand so I can pray for you. Look up at me and just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anyone else in this room? Father, I pray for these who raised their hand this morning, God. God, I thank you that they just took their step, that first step, the only step that is absolutely necessary into eternity. Oh, thank you. Into heaven with you when they die. God, I thank you that they put their faith in you, the one who is faithful. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I pray that you would lead them and guide them in their faith journey. That you would help them to grow in the depth of their faith as they grow closer to you. And Father, for the rest of us who have already made that decision, when we have those moments of doubt, whether it's something that we see in us or whether we see it in someone else, and it causes us great doubt and grief, Father God, I pray that you would help us in the stillness of those moments, in the darkness of those moments, in the challenge of those moments, to renew our faith, to remember 
where we were the day that we said yes to you. God, help us. As your word says, help us in our unbelief to believe in you. To have that living faith that can help us in the everyday stuff of life. Knowing that this is one of those three virtues that you wanted us to know that we take with us when we die. God, I thank you so much for the great faith that we can have because of what you did. And we just tell you right now that we are so thankful for all that you did on the cross for us. And we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.